The economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Port Newell. He went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker. I'm seeing that at Dunkirk. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Cas Mudde. My guest today is Katharina Froyel. Katharina is an assistant professor in political science at Sciences Po in Paris and, like me, affiliated with the Center for Research on Extremism, also known as CREX, at the University of Oslo. Her work focuses primarily on e-politics and radical politics, particularly of the far right in Europe. With three colleagues, she recently published the book Casa Pound Italia, Temporary Extreme Right Politics with Routledge. Welcome to the podcast, Katharina. Hey, Cass. Thanks for having me. So before we turn our conversation to Casa Pound, let me first ask you my standard introductory questions. So first, what was the first sports team you ever supported? So the first team I supported is called Montepaone Calcio. So it's a very small, unprofessional football team that was created in 1984. And it was basically the football team of the village where my family lives. Awesome. Do you still support them? Of course, sure. So second, what is your favorite political song? Can I say two? One is Be Quick or Be Dead. I don't know if you know it. It's by the Iron Maiden. Uh It came out in 1992 in a very famous album that is actually known for another song, Pure of the Dark. And actually, it's a song about political scandals and, you know, like the might of speedness in contemporary societies. And And the second song? The second song, it's an Italian song that is called Neither to Money, Nor to Love, Nor to Heaven. And it's by an Italian singer-songwriter. His name is Fabrizio D'Andre. And actually, it is a very, it's not a single song, it's a concept album in which every song is based on the Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters. And then finally, what is your favorite political book? So here again, I'm afraid I don't have a simple answer, but I would say that in terms of inspiration, it's John Steinbeck, The Grapes of Wrath. I guess it's a novel that is well known, set in the US during the Great Recession. And, you know, it tells the story of the Judd family, a poor family that was basically displaced from Oklahoma by economic hardship, agricultural changes, and bank foreclosure. So they migrate and they try to live a new life. But actually, it's pretty sad. And the second one is an Italian novel by Renata Viganò, and it's called Agnese Chose to Die. And it's the story of a middle-aged woman, um, Agnese, who is a laundress, and uh, she's married to a man whose name is Palita, and this man cannot work. The novel takes place during the end of Second World War, and after the death of her husband, she starts joining the Italian resistance against fascism. And then I don't want to spoil the end. So let's talk Casa Pound. What exactly is Casa Pound Italia? Casa Pound is an extreme right movement party, active mostly in Italy, that openly refers to Mussolini's fascism as its ideology. It was born in 2003 from the activity of a grassroots group, mostly made of young people in Rome, with the occupation of a building. And in a few years, it became pretty famous nationwide and across Europe, despite 
poor electoral results. Can I focus on that a bit? Because Casa Pound has been covered a lot in international media as well. Do you think that there was a good reason for that? Or do you think that this was because Casa Pound kind of played into some of the weaknesses of the media? Actually, I think that the attention that Casa Pound is able to receive, especially from mainstream media, is pretty disproportionate compared to, you know, like the actual impact of the movement party on the Italian party system. Still, I think that this is mostly related to Casabon's skills in terms of political communication, and in particular its ability to communicate using a sort of very professional register and techniques with journalists and the media. So they know how to showcase events, they know how to communicate in a professional way and short way about events. So I think that their political communication skills matter a lot when it comes to assess why the group is so visible on mainstream media despite their poor uh, electoral results. Is there anything new or unique to Casa Pound or is it more a modern version of previous neo-fascist organizations? That's a very difficult question to answer. I would say it's a bit both. It has something old in the sense that it has this ambition to be primarily an intellectual far-right movement. Being an intellectual movement is something that in general is not associated with the extreme right. But in the past, it used to be in Italy, especially in the 70s and 80s, with the experience of the Hobbit towns. What is new is that Casabound is able to glamorize political activism in the sense that it is able to offer to sympathizers and activists forms of activism that are apparently empty of political content and that become actually meaningful in political sense, in, a politi- in political ways, only when people get really involved in the group. So I would say that what is all is their ambition to be what they call the Gramscian of the right. What is new instead is this sort of pop approach to political activism that is actually much in line with contemporary forms of political participation. Right. And that reminds me of the horrible term nipster or Nazi hipster, which is often used to a movement, which is called the identitarian movement. Perhaps you can explain shortly what the identitarian movement is and explain how Casa Pound fits into it or not. Yeah, so the identitarian movement is known as a sort of pan-European movement, mostly mobilizing on nativist campaigns. And while it exists in different European countries, it is mostly active in France, Austria, some parts of Germany and Italy. The position of Casa Pound inside this transnational identitarian movement changed a lot over time. So when we started our research for the book in late 2008, Casabond was actually pretty close to some of the campaigns and forms of activism of these groups. In particular, this idea uh, of doing activism mostly through uh, social media or also this uh, attempt basically to resort to unconventional symbols for uh, far-right campaigns, such as the turtle for Casabond or the wild pig for the identitarians. But still, over time, the position of Casabond changed a lot vis-a-vis the identitarians simply because starting from 2010, Casa Pound became increasingly interested in far-right party politics, so tried to go closer to political parties rather than 
movements in Europe, in particular Golden Dawn and in 2014 the League. And also because it went far from the identitarian movement, I believe, because basically Casa Pound became a brand in itself. Okay, and before we talk about the relationship with other Italian far-right, and particularly the League, can you just say a little bit more about the symbol of Casa Pound, which is a tortoise? Yeah, the symbol of Casa Pound is actually a turtle, and... As I mentioned before, it's a pretty unconventional symbol in the extreme right iconography, if you want. They chose this symbol because the turtle represents the animal that has always its own with uh, himself. And this is also informative of the importance of housing rights for Italians, of course, in the campaigns of Casabound which is another point that sets the group apart from other far-right groups in Italy and in Europe. Right, Casa Pound has adopted quite a lot of techniques from the far left and particularly from the squatter movement. Perhaps you can say a little bit about that and about their headquarters, as well as the current status of it, because the mayor of Rome just came out with some statements about it. Yeah, actually, Casa Pound was born in 2003 from the occupation of an empty building that is today the headquarter of the organization that is currently being contested by the City Hall of Rome. In the campaigns of Casa Pound, I mean, housing rights is always, you know, like a specific and central place. But at the same time, it is most a repertoire of action that Casa Pound uses just to capture media attention rather than to run real political campaigns. I mean that the number of squats that Casa Pound has in Italy is really low. Most of the headquarters of Casa Pound are actually regularly rented. But, you know, like this thing that the squat movements became a bit their brand for the organization and mm-hmm. a distinctive trait compared to other far-right organizations in Italy. Today, as you were saying, yes, um, the police and the mayor of Rome decided to evict um, the, the headquarters of Casa Pound in Rome, but... We don't know how this thing will go, but I think there are two interesting points to rise in this respect. First of all, it is not the first time that it happens. It happened already in the past, and still Casa Pound is there. And second, the reason, the apparent reason for which the group will be evicted is not because it occupied illegally a building, but because of, you know, like hate speech and hate crime. And the mayor of Rome is from a populist party, right? The Five Star Movement. Yes. She is Virginia Raggi and she was one of the first political personalities of the Five Star Movement that managed to have such an important political responsibility at the local level. So moving on and talking about where Casa Pound fits within the larger far right, where do they stand out in terms of ideology and perhaps activities, but also what is their relationship in particular with Matteo Salvini, who is the leader of the far right Lega or League party? Yeah, so... First of all, when we speak about the far right in general, as we show in our book, Casa Pound Ideological Orientation would qualify as extreme right, in the sense that they openly refer to Mussolini's fascism as, you know, like a source of inspiration for their policies and for their campaign. They are anti-democratic, to quote. 
When it comes to the position of Casabond inside the Italian uh, far right, here again, the answer is not too complicated because it's true that in Italy the far right scene is very crowded, but Casabond managed to get its own private, let's say, space on the extreme right. It is currently more extreme than the League, that officially doesn't have any ideological connections with Mussolini's fascism, of course, it, has, it is a party that has another story. And it is still more extreme than the radical right Brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia, that actually abandoned these references, especially under the presidency of uh, Giorgia Meloni. And differently from other far-right organizations in Europe, and also the League and Brothers of Italy in Italy, their activists have intellectual ambitions, right? And this is something that is lacking to other political parties in Europe and in Italy. With respect to the relationship with the Northern League, this is a, a difficult question. Today, there are no official uh, channels of communication between the two, they existed in the past, and they existed in particular in 2014, when basically Casa Pound ran the EP campaign for the League in Rome, where Casa Pound basically made the campaign to gather support for Mario Borghezio, who is one of the most important representatives of the League and also a European MP. So what makes Casa Pound also interesting, particularly for this podcast, is the role of music. Can you say a little bit more about the role that music plays in Casa Pound? Well, actually, music plays a core role uh, in the politics of Casa Pound and for different reasons. First, I think because music was important for the origins of the movement, because Casa Pound was born... Uh, from a group of young people that used to gather and listen to the music of the Z0 Alpha, that is this band, that is today the official band of Casa Pound and whose vocalist is Casa Pound current president. Second, music is very important for Casa Pound because it gives to the group money and funding, right? So Casa Pound has its own musical label, Rupert Arpea, Arpea Rock, that basically produces the music of the Z0 Alpha and also the music of minor, you know, like um, underground, extreme and far-right groups in Italy. It is also extremely important for the socialization of activists. So among the cultural activities that Casa Pound promote, you have regularly concerts uh, that are also used as moments for recruitment. And today, Casa Pound music is very important for Casa Pound because it also allows the group to bridge to different constituencies through different groups. So you will have groups that are related to Casa Pound that would play, you know, like more conventional, let's say, art rock or rock against communism. But then more recently, you would have also, you know, like far-right singer-songwriters that also refer to Casa Pound. So in a certain way, they expanded their musical horizons. But music still plays a core role for the group, yeah. And last week, I spoke to James Montague about ultras. And of course, Italy was very prominent in that discussion. Does Casa Pound have a relationship with certain ultra groups? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Actually, most Casabound activists are closer to AS Roma, right? It is the football team of the city of Rome. And this is pretty atypical, considering that in general, extreme right activists in Italy tend to be closer to Elas Verona, Lazio, or another football team, Inter. Today, the ultras 
of AS Roma are basically split in various groups and Casa Pound activists are also split among these various groups. So the most important are the Fedain and the Boys. In 2007, Casa Pound tried to create its own ultras group that was called I Padroni di Casa, the owners of the house. But actually it lasted really shortly and it disappeared in 2008, if I recall correctly, because it was merged in the in a new ultras uh, group that was called the Gruppo Roma, so the group of Rome. So basically they, they remain in the same area, so the area of ultras of the AS Roma, but they are divided, uh, you know, among the different ultras groups that you will find. So does this mean that Casa Pound is primarily a political factor in Rome, both in terms of politics and in terms of ultras, or do they have some other strongholds in other regions and localities? In Casa Pound politics, Rome plays a crucial role. So they are actually, let's say, better rooted in Rome. But today and since 2008, they managed to open 92 new headquarters across Italy. So they are present also in the northern eastern part of Italy, where in general other extreme right organizations were also active, but they mostly concentrate in the central part of Italy and in Rome. Okay, so we're coming to an end. What do you think is the most widely shared misperception about Casa Pound? That's a very good question. I think that perhaps one yeah, one misperception is to think that groups like Casa Pound can seize power or office. You know, it's very frequent when we hear about, and we read, especially in newspapers about Casa Pound, to read that they are taking over or that fascism is coming back. I don't think that this is the case, in the sense that Casa Pound openly refers to Mussolini's fascism, you know, like a source of ideological inspiration. But the way in which the group declines at the end implements this fascist ideology has really little to do with historical fascism. This, however, doesn't mean that Casa Pound is void of any sort of ideology. Quite the contrary, ideology still plays a big role, and in particular, you know, nativist and ethnocentric campaigns, they are there. So perhaps then one follow-up, how do you think the media should cover a group like Casa Pound? That's a very difficult question. I think that one way is to be able to, or at least to try to question Casa Pound, not only on its favorite issues. It's too easy for a Casa Pound leader or a Casa Pound activist who will probably get also media training to communicate with journalists to answer questions that are in generally asked to an extreme right group. So, for example, about immigration, about borders, about European integration. I think that perhaps one way would be to try to question them on other issues over which you have to take a position if you want to matter in domestic politics, including, you know, like some less, yeah, issues that the group necessar- doesn't necessarily own. For example, you know, like the building of a road or also something more about, you know, how health systems should be founded and so forth. So question them on issues that are not just their core issues like immigration or globalization or European integration. Right, which makes me think of COVID-19. Has Casa Pound taken a position on that? Have they criticized the government? Have they reached out? 
Have they done anything on COVID-19? They tried to politicize, so to speak, about the issue, and you have two dimensions of it. On the one hand, you have the critic against the way in which the Italian government handled the pandemic. So basically, they uh, accused the government of not having reacted on time to prevent basically the spread of the disease in Italy. And then at the moment, what you see is that they also blame the Italian government also because according to them, it was too flexible vis-a-vis China. According to them, the Italian government trusted China too much and uh, was not able to ask to China to justify basically or explain what happened in Wuhan. And then close to this, you have also on some forums of Casabond, you have also a discussion, of course, on the role of science in society, whether or not people should trust scientific experts. But for the moment, it's mostly, I would say, an anti-government discourse that they put forward. Okay, thank you very much for coming on the show, Katerina. Thanks for having me, Gas. If you want to know more about Katerina Froyo and her work, you can follow her on Twitter at at Katerina Froyo. And if you enjoyed the show, please follow and rate the podcast on your platform of choice. Till the next time.